Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. Listen, grab your Bibles with me. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. I know you expected me to say Luke chapter 2 or Matthew, but I said Genesis. He'll go to the beginning of the book, okay? Um, Did you know that the first reference, we're going to read this passage in a minute, but the first reference to Christmas in the Bible is not in Matthew or in Luke. It's not even in Isaiah or any of the other prophetic books. It's in Genesis. It's in Genesis. So there's no mention of shepherds or wise men. There's no angelic visitations, no mangers, nobody hating on the poor innkeeper yet. Um, But right there in the first book of the Bible, Uh, There it is. So today I want to talk about the genesis of Christmas. The genesis of Christmas. And I I want to call it that not just because it's found in the first book of the Bible, but because I want us to find out where it all began and most importantly why. All right, so Genesis chapter 3, read me two verses, uh, verse 14 and verse 15. Then the Lord said, the Lord God said to the serpent, uh, because you've done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. In verse 15, he said, And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Father, I just pray that you'd add your anointing, your illumination and understanding to the reading and the hearing and the preaching of your word. But most importantly, God, I pray that you would give us the courage to not just hear it and understand it, but do it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let me kind of fill in the backstory here. God had placed Adam and Eve in the beautiful Garden of Eden. They lived in intimate fellowship with God. There was no sin. There was no shame. It was a wonderful, wonderful existence, what God had intended and does intend for us to have. But the devil, through a serpent, convinced Adam and Eve, so stop all the Eve hating, Adam and Eve to eat the fruit that was forbidden. So because of their sin, God pronounced sentence on them, starting first with the serpent which is what we just read. Now, obviously, the first verse, verse 14, was directed at the physical snake as a species. Though at that point, they apparently walked on legs, God told them now they were going to crawl in their bellies on the dust. And then God told the serpent that he was going to make it so that humans and snakes just naturally hate each other. I'd say that's been fulfilled. Anybody just, there's just open hostility between you and snakes. My daddy used to say, on a good snake. Do we share a father? What in the world? I knew we had a bunch of people eating that, and I didn't know. Anyway, so this is a, this is a passage, though, that um, demonstrates what's called the principle of double reference. 
Principle of double double reference. It's referring to a physical snake. Like that snake was in trouble for letting the, the, the devil use him. But it's also referring to the spiritual power behind the snake. So, if, for instance, when Jesus said to, to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, he wasn't confused, all right? He was in a conversation with Peter. He was rebuking Peter, but he was also talking to the spiritual power behind Peter's foolishness in that moment, which was Satan. So there's a double reference, okay? So here in Genesis, while God is uh, condemning the snake, he's also saying some things that are clearly directed at the devil, You're like, so, John, this is all interesting, but it's supposed to be Christmas message. I'm getting to that, all right? So here it is. Here's where that comes in. I want us to look back at this passage, but I want to look in the Amplified Version. I want you to see it this way. Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, 14, 15 in the Amplified. It said, and the Lord God uh, said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed above all domestic animals and above every wild living thing of the field. Upon your belly you'll go, you'll eat dust and what it contains all the days of your life. Now, this is especially what I want you to see. And I'll put enmity, that's open hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring, the offspring of the serpent, and her offspring. You see there's something different there. And and he will bruise and tread your head underfoot, and you will lie in wait and bruise his heel. Now, uh, the, the, uh, there's another amplified version that says it's his seed, your, your seed, your seed and her seed. Now, what the New Living Translation called offspring, what this translation called offspring, the, uh, the, another translation calls a seed, okay? The, the interesting thing about that word is that it's singular. It's singular. This verse is not talking about all of us as the offspring of, of Eve. He's talking about one particular offspring. Notice that offspring is capitalized, or in other versions, seed is capitalized. This is the reference to Christmas, the birth of Jesus. You say, how is that? Because Jesus was born to be the seed. He was born to be the fulfillment of this prophecy, the first prophecy in the Bible, as a matter of fact. How do we know? Well, look at what it says. It says that Satan is going to bruise Jesus' heel. Now, isn't that what the cross was all about? Satan's attempt at stopping what Jesus was born to do. Satan bruising the heel uh, of Jesus. But look at what Jesus the seed is going to do in return. Jesus is going to fatally wound. He's going to bruise. He's going to crush Satan's head. Like, what happened to sweet baby Jesus in a manger? I'm talking about crushing the head of the serpent today. That's way better. Okay, that's way better. Why is that so awesome? See, Satan heard this prophecy from God's own mouth with his own ears. Can you imagine the fear that must have flooded him when when the angels announced that Jesus had been born in Bethlehem? Can you imagine? I mean, he had known it was a matter of time, but now the fullness of time had come. And he heard with his own ears that he's on the clock. He's on the clock. Right? He, he thought maybe when Jesus breathed his last on the cross that he had, maybe he had won. Maybe he had figured out a way around the prophecy, the judgment of God. But when Jesus stepped out of the tomb, he took his foot and he began crushing the head of the serpent. And that, that, is, a, that is a wonderful, wonderful blessing. Look at Revelation chapter 1. 
verse 17 and 18. Revelation 1, 17 and 18. When I saw him, this is the vision of, of John the Baptist, of John, uh, to, of Jesus. He said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. But he laid his right hand on me and he said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died, but look. I'm alive forever and ever. And, and get this, I hold the keys of death and the grave. Amen. Now look at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. You were dead, talking about us. We were dead because of our sins and because of our sinful nature uh, was not yet cut away. And then God made you alive with Christ. He, for, he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Listen, Jesus was born with a purpose that started in Genesis. He was born to be the seed that crushed the head of the serpent. He started the process on the cross forgiving our sins, disarming the spiritual authorities, and taking back the keys of hell and the grave. Satan, right now, is under the heel of Jesus. And very soon, he's going to finish him off for good. Look at this, Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10. Then, then the devil who had deceived them, deceived who? Everybody. He deceived everybody. Was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. They'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. Listen, he's more, he's more than just a baby in a manger. He's more than a baby in a manger. The genesis of Christmas is that Jesus was born to be the seed. The seed. So as we celebrate Christmas... Let's be thankful to God, thankful to God for the seed who crushes the serpent. Now, there's something else um, unusual about the Christmas connection in Genesis. Um, in this passage, he's not just the seed, he's the seed of Eve. He's the seed of Eve. He said, you're, you're going to crush her seed, her offspring. Now, notice it's not the, the seed or the offspring of Adam. It's just the offspring of Eve. That's really unusual. That's really unusual because biologically, it's the males who provide the seed. And historically, people are thought to and referred to as the offspring of their fathers, not the offspring of their mothers. But this says very clearly, the offspring of Eve. So it takes us to the second point today, that the genesis of Christmas is not just about the seed. It's also about the sign. Oh, what sign? Well, let's find out. Isaiah Chapter 7, verse 14. All right, then the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. The virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son. You'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew chapter 1, they quote this as, a, as having been fulfilled. Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. And as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, see, Joseph got an angel. Uh, Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she'll have a son, and you're to name him Jesus, for he'll save his people from their sins. And all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet Isaiah. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son. 
and you'll call, then they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You say, John, what sign? What are you talking about seed and a sign? What sign are you talking about? Jesus' virgin birth was the sign. That was the sign. You say, well, what does that have to do with Genesis? Because Jesus is called the seed of woman, not the seed of man. Why? Because in order for Jesus to be the sacrifice for our sins, which we know him to be, he had to be two very different things all at the same time. He had to be both human and perfect. Y'all know any humans? Any of you know humans? None of you know humans. Do you know any perfect humans? No. And look at this, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. For, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. We inherited an empty life from our ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ. Look, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he's been revealed for your sake. Why does it matter that Jesus was born of a virgin? If he had been the product of a human mother and a human father, he would not have qualified to be the sacrifice for our sin. That's all, that, that's all there is to it. As the scripture says, he was a sinless, spotless lamb of God. So God had to achieve the conception of the son without the participation of an earthly father. The virgin, listen, the virgin birth is not just a cool part of the story. It's an abso- it is absolutely essential for our salvation. And notice what it said. It said it was the plan from the beginning. The, the, that was the plan before the world even began. The genesis of Christmas dates all the way back, not just to the garden, not just to the first book of the Bible, but before the foundation of the world, this was always the plan. So Jesus is the seed, and Jesus' virgin birth is the sign. Here's the last thing. Here's the last thing. Jesus was born to be our sacrifice. He was born to be our sacrifice. Look at Genesis, still Genesis 3, look at verse 21. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. You say, John, I, I, I'm trying to get excited. I'm just not excited. I don't know what that, what, what's the big deal about getting like a little leather skirt for Eve? Like what, what's the big deal? As soon as they sinned, they, they felt shame for the first time, right? Naked and ashamed, everybody has heard that. In order to cover their bodies, God made them clothes from the skins of animals, Sin required the shedding of blood, right? Because those animals were, they were using the skin. They had to be, sorry. They, it was still in use. God had to kill the animals to get the skin. Isn't that right? It, the sin required the shedding of blood. Most scholars believe this is the way that God established the requirement of animal sacrifices, blood sacrifices for sin. God said in, in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, what? There's no remission of sins. There's no forgiveness of sins. So for centuries after that, people would come to God and they would bring the blood of calves and goats in order to atone for their sins uh, each year. But that atonement was temporary. 
And they had to just keep coming back. More sacrifices were going to be needed year after year because the sacrifice never took away your, your capacity to sin. It never took away uh, the sin completely. It just covered it. So you say, well, what does that have to do with Christmas and why Jesus was born? Well, let me show you Matthew chapter 2 and verse 11. Here's the, the wise men. Matthew 2 and verse 11. There we go. They entered the house. These are the wise men. Entered the house, saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure chests and they gave him gifts. What? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All right? Gold is a gift for kings. Frankincense is a gift for deity. Myrrh is a spice used to prepare bodies for burial. He was the king of the Jews. He was and is the son of God. But he was also the lamb of God slain from the foundations of the earth. From day one, Jesus was born to be our sacrifice. Look at Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 2. Hebrews 9 and verse 2. There were two rooms in that tabernacle. In the first room were a lampstand, a table, sacred loaves of bread. The room was called the holy place. Then there was a curtain, and behind the curtain was the second room called the most holy place. In that room were a gold incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered with gold on all sides. Inside the ark were a gold jar containing manna, Aaron's staff that sprouted leaves in the stone tablets. Above the ark were, were the cherubim of divine glory whose wings stretched out over the ark's cover, the place of atonement. But we cannot explain these things in detail now. When these things uh, were in, in place, the priests regularly entered the first room as they performed their religious duties. But only the high priest ever entered the most holy place and, and only once a year. And he offered blood for his own sins and for the sins of the people that the people had committed in ignorance. Look at verse 10. For that old system deals only with food and drink and various cleansing ceremonies, physical regulations that were in effect only until a better system could be established. Have y'all figured out before I did that that's not the right scripture? It was a good scripture, but it ain't the right scripture. I gave him the wrong one. Chapter 10 in Hebrews is far more pertinent to the point. Y'all like chapter 10 of Hebrews too? Hallelujah. Uh, if they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped because the worshipers would have been purified once for all time and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sin year after year because it's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. That's why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, Christ said to God, you didn't want animal sacrifices or sin offerings. But you, were, you have given me a body to offer. You weren't pleased with burnt offerings and other offerings for sins. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it was written about me in the scriptures. And verse 10 explains what the will of God was. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Once for all time. Jesus said those things 
to God as he was coming to earth. He said, he said, Father, listen, all those animal sacrifices, they were never pleasing to you. That's never really what you wanted. So I'm going to go down there. I'm going to take on human flesh. I'm going to offer myself as the sacrifice for their sin. Then they can be holy. Then they can be clean. Then we can stop all the sacrifices. I will be the sacrifice one time for all people for the rest of, for the rest of eternity. So listen, we get so hyper-focused on this baby in the manger that we forget the bigger picture. Jesus didn't just randomly show up in the world, and while he was here, he thought he'd just teach and preach a little while, but people got mad at him and hung him on the cross. That's, that's not how this worked. There was a plan all along. He was always going to be the seed. He was always going to fulfill the sign of the virgin birth. He was always going to be our sacrifice. That was always the plan. And do you know why he did that? John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It was love. You want to talk about the genesis of Christmas. Where did Christmas come from? Love. It was love that motivated God to give his only son. It was love that motivated Jesus to lay down his deity and humble himself as a baby in a manger. It was love. The core motivation of Christmas, the beginning of Christmas, the genesis of Christmas is and has always been the love of the Father. The love of the Father for us. You say, but Christmas, Christmas is about Jesus coming to show us how to live. Well, sure it is. And he did, didn't he? Christmas is about Jesus fulfilling all the prophecies. Well, he did that, right? Christmas is about Jesus coming to save us from our sins. Well, he accomplished that too. But listen, why? Why did he, wanna, why did he even want to show us how to live? Why did he give the prophecies in the first place? Why did he make a way for us to be forgiven when he never wanted us to sin in the first place? Why, after all that people have done to each other, after all that people have done to him, why is he even still fooling with us? Why not just wipe us out and start over? Or maybe, like if we were on the throne, just wipe us out and be done with it. All those questions only have one answer. It's love. The story doesn't make sense without love. So I want to close today with the end of a prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed over the church at Ephesus. I think there were three pastoral prayers that he prayed in the book of Ephesus and Ephesians, and I don't want to read part of that. It talks about the love of God. In a way, some of you are visual people. You need to kind of see it. This is, this is a word picture that you won't forget. Okay, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should. How any of God's people in here? Well, the word says you need to understand this. And you need to ask God for the power to understand it. How wide, how long, how high, 
and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to fully understand. See, I love this. He said, you need, to, you need to pray that you can understand this, but it's too much for you to understand. He's not contradicting himself. He's painting you a picture of how high and wide and deep and, and, and along the love of it. It's, it's incredible. He said, then when you experience the love of Christ, you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. The fullness of the love of God can't be contained in a manger. The fullness of the love of God can't even be expressed on a cross. Its height, its depth, its width, its length cannot even be understood this side of heaven. But the beauty of the love of God is that you can experience it even if you can't understand it. And that experience starts with you surrendering your life to Christ. So John, what does, that, what does that even mean? It means you repent of your sin and you start following him. You start following him. Listen, I told you there was just we're just going to circle right back around. It seems to me, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but if you just look at what God's been saying through this entire service, it's come to me and surrender. Come to me and surrender. And if you boil down the Christmas story, isn't that what it's about anyway? Coming to Christ, bowing down before Him, laying down, we did, we fall down, laying our crowns, our gold, our frankincense, our myrrh, every, laying our lives down before Him. Not the baby in the manger, not the, not the lamb on the cross but the risen, empowered King of kings, Lord of lords, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. That's who we give our lives to today. And that's what I'm inviting you to today. Will you, will you surrender your life to Christ today? I'm going to ask you to stand if you don't mind. We're going to, we're going to pray. I'm going to open this altar if you would like to come and pray. After the altar call, uh, we'll have communion together. But let's don't skip too far ahead because this is the most important thing. This is what we're here for. This is what we're here for. And I just can't imagine that in, that in a, a, a crowd the size of this one, that there's not somebody here that's still contemplating surrendering their heart to the Lord, hasn't completely done it. I suspect that there are even people who have been, you may have been coming to church your whole life, but for one reason or the other, it just never occurred to you that this had to be a personal decision between you and the Lord. And so if that's the case, listen, going to church, your, your perfect attendance at church is not going to hold any weight when you stand before God. The question is going to be, what did you do with my son, Jesus? Where do you stand in relationship to him? And today, you can make that decision. So we're going gonna, gonna to ask them to sing. You want to come and pray? I'd be happy to pray with you. Any of our elders, any member of our prayer team, we'd be happy to lead you to relationship with the Lord.
If there's anything else that you want to pray about, because this is a difficult time of the year for people, and, and, and life goes on no matter what the calendar says, so whatever's going on in your life, if you need to come and pray, come and pray. And after that, we'll have communion together and be dismissed. But this is the most important time of the service right now. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would draw people, those who don't know you today, those who have not surrendered their lives to you. They may know about you. They may have heard of you. They may know trivia. They may have academic knowledge of you, but they've never experienced you in a personal way. God, I pray that today they begin to experience the height and the depth and the width of of your love in a way they never have. Would you draw them to yourself today? Lord, those, uh, there are other people here who may be suffering, may be grieving. They may, they may be facing a difficult decision. They, whatever the situation is, God, would you draw them here to this altar? Meet them here, Lord, and minister to them. Lord, may we experience your love today, though we don't have the capacity to understand it. May we experience it today in a life-changing way. In Jesus' name. Pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.